evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's your boys. It's Chubboy Tommy with Chubboy Rory. Sorry, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were going to say my name. You can't catch me up on the back. Which boy, Rory? Yeah, I was trying with this American <laughs> slang thing. Didn't really work. Made a fool of myself once again. Welcome to the Anglo Italian Pod. This is yet another episode of our FCON special, to be precise, episode seven. But it's also season two and episode thirty-eight, and we're getting closer and closer episode 100 overall we'll keep you updated remember to follow us on instagram at anglo italian pod and on twitter at italian anglo pod rory how are you doing today i am all right it's been a predictably disappointing deadline day i kind of woke up this morning thinking right arsenal are gonna surprise me come on optimism let's go and then within 10 minutes, I was like, okay, let's just not check Twitter today. And I've actually had a pretty Twitter-free day, so I'm quite I'm quite happy about that, but a very quiet transfer deadline day. We'll get on to it. It's fine. Tommy, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm super tired. It's the end of the semester in most Italian schools, and I work at a private school. And let's say that... Teachers have to go an extra mile to make sure that mm-hmm. the students have all the grades that they're supposed to have, even though they have planned absences on the days that they were supposed to get tested. So I'm not going to say anything more about it, but I've had to show up at school in times where I wasn't supposed to, and the students still managed not to show up. So it's been a busy morning, to say the least, but I'm here, I'm alive, I'm happy to talk about football We've got a whole lot to cover today, but the first thing is, Rory, how are you feeling with that super tight aroma kit on you? Um, I feel like my shoulders are looking pretty good, looking looking all right. I am not going to stand up because it definitely reminds me why I need to go to the gym and drink less beer. But from this, from the kind of nipple upwards, so to speak, I think it looks all right. Just the wind is kind of all twisted and contorted a little bit. So, yeah. It's not that comfortable, but, you know, no, it looks I, good. Look, I remember Cassano used to wear that kit, and uh, it was Cassano going out of shape, and you could <laughs> tell immediately that he wasn't training as hard as he was supposed to when he was wearing that. So it, <laughs> it made a professional footballer not look that great. I can only imagine for a normal civilian like us. But I'm, um, Also, sorry, to... Cassano news, he's now on Instagram. Follow him, find him. He's oh, great. yeah, yeah. Great right. on Insta. Plays a lot of paddle. That's all I see. Plays a lot of paddle. Well, all those guys. Well, that Bobo TV thing is getting a lot. Uh-huh. Is getting a little bit out of hand. They've been just taking the hottest takes on <laughs> tactics and stuff. And it's just at the end of the day, it's just like four dudes that are chatting about football. But some of them get way too vocal and angry about stuff, like they did last year with Inter. Cassano was all. Not about uh, Conte's Inter. Then the Lele Adani always has to sound like the master of tactics when he was an all right defender, and he's never studied to become a coach. But whatever, those guys are funny. Cassani's on Instagram. Give him a follow. We've got a whole lot of ground to cover. We're going to start from the Afcon, of course, since the semifinals are set, and we're getting closer and closer to the final that we will be covering live from my crib on Sunday night. But then we also have to talk about the transfer window and the upcoming Serie A and Premier League games. But first, unfortunately, there is a massive elephant in the room that we need to address. And we're going to do it very quickly, two minutes. We're just going to give two cents that we hope are everybody's two cents on the issues. 
So Rory, do you want to introduce this beautiful topic that we wished to never discuss on our pod? Yeah, well, everyone knows what we're going to talk about. It's that Premier League footballer who's been um, arrested now for horrific things. Um, We're just a little bit, as is everyone, I think it kind of reflects society as well. But the amount of footballers now that are being accused of these things, that are being involved in these things, is really making it difficult to, to love football. I think most of us now are like, oh, I really hope that footballer I like is a nice person because... The chat, like, you don't know if they're going to be the next one. And this is, like, a problem, like I said, within society. We're seeing it within football. And I hope that clubs react swifter to it and more um, justly than they have in the past. Like, I feel like Manchester United haven't dealt with it as well in the past. They've been quite swift with this footballer and done it very quickly. I think Everton did it very well when they they, they, when they had a player involved. I just think we need a little bit more from football clubs, not only in acting once it's happened, but educating players throughout the academy system. Like, I don't know, I feel like quite lucky that my parents brought me up to be what I think is a nice guy um, and I know what's right and wrong and not all people's parents teach them these things and at some point I think maybe the football clubs need to be doing more in holistic education when they're bringing these players up from a young age. I'm not blaming it on Manchester United, I'm not blaming it on clubs, I just think more needs to be done. Um and it's something we're seeing in society as well. When you see mo- movements like Her Game 2, which is such a great movement of getting more women involved in football, and then you see the adult virgins backlashing every time on Twitter, you see that there's so much to do, not only with women being in football, but with just with women in society. And I feel like it's something that we need to... Men need to be better, and we need to call more men out on it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And the the thing that uh, I think about the most is I work, we both, we are both teachers and we both work with teenagers. And Mason Greenwood was a teenager until last year. He's 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And I really wonder what goes on through your mind when something like, to to, to let something like that happen. And as you were saying, I think that football clubs uh, also need to take responsibility for these type of things we've seen a whole lot of young players like the uh Ferland Mendy and the, the the other Mendy I don't remember his name yeah um, Benjamin yeah Benjamin Mendy at Manchester City so I definitely think that clubs need to address this problem I know that in the NBA there the the players especially in their first year they have to take mandatory classes on a mm-hmm. series of things including this um now we know that in the NBA that has been there have been these type of issues as well, but at least that's a first step to a knowledge that there is a problem and this problem needs to be addressed and solved. I don't know if it's the fame, I don't know if it's the money that makes them feel it's powerful. All of it together, I think. All of it together. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's just disgusting to see that it keeps happening and it's uh, often from very young guys. Um, yeah. It would be disgusting even if it was from older guys, and it's been mm-hmm. the case in many situations. But yeah, I agree 100% with Rory. I feel like clubs need to address this more and more seriously. Well, that's it. And yeah. sorry, yeah. and on that point, it comes down to the fans as well. So, Hopeless Wanderer, obviously a Wickham fan, Adam was with us, said Akin Fenwell had sexual predator chance in the match this weekend versus uh, McDonald's, MK Dons. So, even fans are using this as a point as a as a as a thing to like point score as a bit of like banter if you know what i mean it's like you can see that people 
just aren't taking this as seriously as they should be. Um, and yeah, so it comes down to us as well as the clubs. And it's just, I, I'm so sick of talking about it and like having to see it and deal with it. And it's just, guys, we need to be better. We just need to be better and call yeah. people out on it. Yeah, and I think that the world of football has uh, is still deeply attached to this macho mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I strongly hope that that's going to change. Uh, I'm going to switch to another topic very quickly, but Patrice Evra recently mm-hmm. talked about the fact that there are a lot of homosexuals in football that have never had the guts to reveal it. But in the locker rooms, you kind of know because people are more open. They talk to you. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't want to go public with it. But... Evra said that he knows a whole lot of homosexuals in football. The comments that I read under the Instagram post where this news was reported were just ridiculous for 2022. And you see that it's still, this macho mentality is deeply rooted and definitely feeds into these uh, domestic violence episodes, which are not only between, uh, not only about footballers, but we saw this summer, I think we talked about it, about the domestic abuse going up in England after Mm -hmm. the final that you lost against Italy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's all do our little part into trying to make this sport about the game and not about being a strong man who is all-powerful and all that. Did it make any sense? Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Look, <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that like, we can move on. We can move on. I hope that he is dealt with accordingly. My thoughts go out to her and the fact that her life has been ruined to it, like, to an extent. She's gone through this massive trauma. She's going to be dealing with so much shit now. I have more sympathy for her than anger towards him. I hope that he's dealt with justly and we never see him on the football pitch again. And if we do, it's at Sunday League where he can be dealt with when people can just kick lumps out of him. Yeah, and if you guys, one last thing, I have a lot of girlfriends, and some time ago, I don't know why, but uh, I was uh, I was a little intoxicated, and all of a sudden, I went to one of my friends, and I was just like, hey, will you promise me that if anything weird ever happens, also, my friend is single, she's not dating anybody, but I'm just like, will you promise me that if anything bad happens, like, domestically with one of your boyfriends in the future, like, you will let me know, so, like, mm-hmm. somebody's aware, and you don't have to keep it for yourself, she was like, Tomazo, that was oddly very sweet of you to tell me that. So I feel like if you guys have girlfriends and you are very good friends with them, just make sure that you could be one of those people mm-hmm. that she talks to first uh, instead of like keeping it for herself. I These like were that. our two cents. Good. Uh, as always, Rory's much, much better than me at getting from point A to point B. For me, it's just like, you know, <laughs> I'm not it's sure about a, that. a, a yeah. whirlwind of things. But we're here to talk about football. It's beautiful to see that we've got a new guy um, uh, writing to us, Monde Sportif. I hope my French pronunciation is good. He's enjoying our FCON coverage. And so, FCON it is. The semi finals are set we've got on one side of the bracket senegal versus burkina faso and on the other side of the bracket cameroon egypt rory are you excited about these semifinals they feel like big games right they feel like big games i think especially cameroon egypt is like it feels like two like african giants facing off but i think burkina faso against senegal is going to be a really intriguing one like obviously we're going to go into it more in depth but they both feel like big games and like we said before, anybody could get to the final, really. I think any four of them, you could argue, deserve to be there and could get there. Do you still think that it's going to be Senegal-Cameroon final? 
Oh, I don't know. I feel like Egypt are really getting there. I feel like we're going to talk about it, but I feel like Egypt have got this thing. I think they've got a thing that's going to get them over the edge, but we'll it, get it. It feels like they're kicking in the gears and game mm-hmm. after game, they're looking increasingly better. So let's start from the quarterfinals. Rory, we were talking about Egypt. Should we start from the quarterfinals that Egypt played in? Yeah, I think it was arguably the game of the round. Egypt 2, Morocco 1 after extra Ooh. time. This was a feisty affair i think it's fair to say this got there was a a full team brawl lots of like full-blooded tackles and to be fair to the ref we've seen a lot of refs be quite heavy-handed with cards this ref wasn't really and i think he kind of let the game flow even if he should have given a few more cards than he did but the game was uh the scoring was opened by buffal after a foul on hakimi for me it looked a little bit soft i think hakimi kind of knocked the ball away then waited for the defender to 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 take his legs but it was a penalty Buffal scored it and the first half was all about Morocco really Egypt didn't really look into it at all but then at half time um the Egypt manager made a really I think quite a clever substitution he took off um Hegezi the centre-back and brought on Trezeguet to play left wing go in from like a 4-3-3 into a 3-4-3 obviously in the second half that then puts Egypt a bit more on the front foot and they were able to really, really pile the pressure on um, on Morocco. In the end, Salah got a goal. It was a corner with some terrible, terrible defending. Oh uh, but God, Salah yeah. tapped it in from about a yard out to make it one all. Um, the sub goalkeeper who had only made one cap, uh, one appearance for Egypt before this tournament. He obviously came on in the last game against Ivory Coast. Saved two of saved one of the penalties from Bailly, right? He made an incredible save in the 85th minute to keep it level, touching the ball onto the crossbar, really keeping Egypt in the game. And then at the end, in extra time, Trezeguet got the goal, but Salah, his run to set that up, he just, it feels like, I said in the previous pod, they need to get more out of Salah. They need to get Salah being Liverpool Salah. And I think this is a game where we've seen him get a little bit more towards that. He's currently leading the tournament in chances created. He's created 14 chances so far, but he's only got one assist and it's mad. Like he's putting his teammates into really good positions. They're just not quite able to finish them. Um, But he got the assist, just ran through the whole team. He just kind of went, right, here we go. Ran past the defense, put it across the box. Trezeguet taps it in 2-1 and Egypt managed to see it through. And like you were saying, Tommy, I think they're getting to a point now where it's, okay, business time, right? This is it. Game face, they've managed to get, and they've got through, they've done it kind of the hard way. They've got past the one of the tournament favorites through Ivory Coast, a massive rivalry in Morocco, and now they're going to be coming up against the hosts. If they win this thing, they're going to have done it the hard way, and I think they're really looking like a very intimidating clinical machine, and Salah looks like he wants that trophy. And if he lifts the AFCON, with Egypt, you would have to be getting Ballon d'Or shouts at that point. Um, for the season, <laughs> for the season, he's having a Liverpool as well. Like he, he's arguably the best player in the world at the moment, and he's starting to get to that level with Egypt now. I think most teams are going to be terrified of him. Yeah, uh, about the Ballon d'Or, I don't even know who that award goes to anymore. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it went magically to Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> once again. It's messy. Whoa, what? Uh, but yeah, definitely. He, sh- yeah, if he doesn't have a Ballon d'Or already, he should. Uh, he should get one soon. Le Monde Sportif is asking us a quick question: Is Mo Salah the greatest in the world at the moment? Rory, I would like to go first. 
I think it's hard to argue otherwise. Um, I'm just looking at his stats for Liverpool this year. Um, he's already got 20, 20 goals. Can I be right? Nah, um, already 20? He's got 23 goals and 26 appearances this season and nine assists. Um, it's hard to argue with that, really. Um, I think if he manages to keep Liverpool in a title race and maybe push them to the title, then, yeah, there's got to be arguments for it. But no defence can keep up with him at the moment. We've seen him in he's, the Premier League looks easy for him at the moment. I think we've to, we, in previous episodes, we've talked about how AFCON is a great leveller. Like, and we've talked about how, you know, expect the unexpected. A part-time defender will keep a world-class striker quiet, etc. But I think we're starting to see him hit that level. So I think it's hard to argue that he's, yeah, for me, the best in the world at the moment. What do you think, Tommy? I think I don't really like the conversation because it's. Uh, I feel like football is played by 11 players who play in an 11 different positions and it's very hard. Like if you say that Salah is the best, then what about the most, uh, which doesn't come to my mind right now, but the most solid, rock solid center back. He couldn't be in the conversation just because he doesn't score mm. as many goals, of course, uh, but he's also very fundamental to the team. So I would say that Salah is definitely in the conversation for the best attacking footballer at the moment and for the best finisher alongside certain Robert Lewandowski and uh, people of that stature. So definitely, I think he's one, I would say he's the most exciting to watch at the moment because the things that he does with the ball, uh, how sometimes he carries the team on his back and he's been doing it with Egypt, I don't think Egypt would be where they are right now if mm-hmm. it wasn't for Mosala. But that's yeah, that's a good hot take. Monde Sportif. Our question is, do you think that he is the greatest in the world at the moment? Let us yeah, know what involved. you think. <laughs> yeah, get involved. No, he is already. <laughs> he, <I'm assuming laughs> get more involved. He. Right, let's do it. And Roy, the Gambian dream is over. The Scorpions, ouch. The Scorpions. Yeah, I think, look, hit. this for them... I'm going to say they are the fairy, the fairy tale story of AFCON. We discussed it on our last episode with Devo. Just exactly who is the fairy tale? Is it Comoros? Is it Gambia? I'm going to give it Gambia. They were the lowest ranked team uh, in this competition, the lowest ranked team before this competition. Um, and they've got to the quarterfinals in their first ever AFCON. Like, we can go through their squad, but what's great about their squad is that, it, that a lot of them are very young, so they're about to hit their peak. Like, we've talked about them before, but Barrow, he's 23. Abrima Darbo is 20. Abrima Kale, 21. Dembo Darbo, 23. And then they've got all the experience of Suleiman Ma, who's 26, and Omar Kali at 29. This is a team that still has further to go. Like, this is not their peak yet. So I think it's really exciting. They came against a team that was just ultimately too good for them on the day. It is the host. Cameroon have been like ridiculous. Now, Akambi got another two goals. That takes him to five. Abubakar was six. So them alone, between them two, they have 11 goals in this tournament. Um, and Akambi, he's kind of the striker that's not quite been getting the headlines behind Abubakar. But even this season for Leon, he's got 11 goals and four assists in 23 games. So he's a striker that... Like, I think it's taken a few people by surprise. Cameroon, we know they're the hosts. They are the favorites. I think it's just one step too far for Gambia. <laughs> the, the, the result could have been a lot worse. Like, Cameroon still weirdly are, like, massively wasteful in front of goal. For the amount of chances they create, they don't score that many. Um, so I was looking at the players with the most XG in the tournament. Seven of the top 10 players are from Cameroon. So they are creating so many 
high quality chances, but they're just not quite scoring them. So you think if they start to get a bit more clinical, they could be hitting like cricket numbers. Like they are creating a lot of chances. But two players who aren't getting the headlines, but should be, are Collins Fye and Hongler. So um, Collins Fye is a right wing back. Hongler plays on the right wing. And just from that right side, they've both got three assists each. So like Cameroon definitely rely on that side of the pitch heavily. But if it's working, it's working. And I think um, we'll talk about a preview in the semi in a moment. But I think Cameroon-Egypt looks like such an intriguing game. I could not call it. And then we had on Saturday as well, Burkina Faso, Tunisia, where uh, Burkina Faso ended up winning 1-0 thanks to a goal by Ouattara at the 45th minute in, uh, in the first goal. half. What a goal as well, by the way. Yeah, what did you think of that goal? I was just oh. re-watching it now. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, he breaks away and then he breaks ankles in the penalty box as he just turns. He, like, does a nice little chip to bring it back in, like, off his back heel. Cuts inside and just smashes it across a goal. What a goal. Beautiful finish. Really good counter-attack. Burkina Faso, like classic Burkina Faso. They love scoring on the break. And it just feels like such a Faso win goal. A Burkinabi goal. There you go. I think that's how you say it. Bayali also had a Bayala, sorry, also had a very mm-hmm. good play in the opening minutes of the game. Kind of cut back to lose to make the defender look track of him, but then he shot on the goalkeeper, on the Tunisian goalkeeper. On the other hand, Tunisia uh, looked kind of in shambles uh, uh, from the moment that they went down one nil. It felt like they were exposing themselves way too much, and they were caught in the counter attack by Burkina Faso a few times. However, they were quite dangerous on free kicks but here comes Mr. Corfi, the goalkeeper for Sporting Charles Roy, who had two very good saves, not extremely difficult, but you know it's you're playing a quarterfinal. It requires good positioning, and he saved both of them. Uh, I feel like Burkina Faso deserved the win. However, too bad that they will be missing Watara in the in the semifinals for the textbook definition of an elbow in the face uh that was we've been saying that there have been a lot of like very questionable red cards in this tournament but that was literally an elbow <laughs> yeah, yeah it's hard to argue with that one hard to argue he had already been booked with a yellow card but i oh, know sorry he hadn't he it was a straight red at the mm-hmm. 83rd minute so kind of wasteful but despite the squad being 10 man down tunisia were not able to overturn the score and burkina faso fly to the semi-finals against senegal who won 3-1 the anglo-italian pod added once again we had said that senegal were the only team yet to concede a goal next thing <laughs> yeah. you know we talked about it and next thing you know equatorial guinea scored the first goal of this tournament against uh, uh, Edouard mendy from chelsea senegal win quite comfortably i want to say and uh, after a pretty rocky start to the tournament they really couldn't finish. There were a lot of random crosses in the box without a focal point up front. It feels like they're playing better free-flowing football right now. Mm-hmm. They never looked in danger uh, during the game. And even when Sam equalized the, the 1-1 at the 57th minute, it only took them 10 minutes to find their shape again and to score uh, Kuyate's goal at the 68th. That was 2-1. And the score uh, was rounded up by Ismail Assar at the 79th minute. Equatorial Guinea uh, put up a bit of a fight, but it felt like Senegal at the end of the day were the much better side. What do you think, Rory? 
Yeah, well, Equatorial Guinea are like, <laughs> I was just, I, I bookmarked something on Twitter this week from at Zach Lowey. Equatorial Guinea has a landmass the size of Massachusetts, has a population of one, of one and a half million people, and they've beaten Mauritania, Zambia, Tunisia, Algeria, Sierra Leone, and Mali since September, despite losing to Senegal. What a fantastic AFCON campaign they've had. It is incredible. The, like For a, a team that size, for them to get this far and for them to come up against a team like Senegal, again, one of the historic giants of, of um, African football, there is no shame in this loss at all. And it's an encouraging sign that a lot of these teams, these kind of minnows, are doing well in this tournament. It shows that there's a lot more quality in African football than we think or assume there is. And maybe there should be a conversation on how many spots Africa get for the World Cup because a lot of very good teams are not getting at that tournament and they do not get the chance to improve and test themselves at this level. And teams like Gambia, Equatorial Guinea, Comoros have kind of shown us that, like I said, there's more quality there than we realize. Um, but Senegal, they're finally, you know, they've been scoring one goal, then they scored two goals. Now they've scored three goals. You can literally see them warming up. So again, another team to worry about if you're going to come up against them. And Burkina Faso are going to come up against them on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central European time. Burkina Faso, Senegal. These two teams have met twice in 2017 for the World Cup qualification and both... Uh, in both uh, occasions, they ended up drawing. It was nil-nil in the first game and 2-2 in the second games. In the second game, with goals by Traore and and uh, by Traore and the known goal by Ndiaye for Burkina Faso and goals by Sar and Mane for Senegal. Um, I'm excited about this game. I think that Senegal are going to win it. But Senegal, I think they're starting to have, if they haven't started already, a kind of obsession that could become dangerous mm. about the AFCON. They, in fact, despite all the talent that they've showcased over the years, they have never won it. They have been to two finals, the last of which was in the latest uh, edition of the AFCON in 2019. They finished the second. Of course, Algeria won that game. They were also in the final in 2002, but they ended up losing that one too. They also have two, four, three fourth places. They never ended the third. I think that the Senegalese people want an AFCON and they want it badly. And Monde Sportif says, I really can't see past a Senegal versus Cameroon final. It sounds like too many people are calling for this final, especially us. So it's going to be it, something I've, different. I've got a bit of a confession to make. Senegal and Cameroon are two teams. I always get them confused. I always get them confused. I don't know if it's because their flags are similar and they wear the same kits. I just, whenever I'm thinking about Cameroon, I have to double check that I'm not thinking about Senegal. So I feel like this final could be really confusing for me if that happens. I have to double check, like, wait, is Mendy Cameroon or Senegal? And I have to remind myself, <laughs> is Eto Cameroon or Senegal? Okay, right, it's Cameroon. It genuinely, it's like a weird thing in my brain that I just can't quite get it. So that final would be a, a lot for me, I think. I, might, I have I might to say, on the live stream. I have to say that flag-wise, there is a whole lot of yellow, green, and red in the majority. And the star in the middle, right? <laughs> and the star, and the <laughs> yeah, cheeky little yeah. star, just to make it. And sometimes I had, uh, I I was playing, you know, when I make the posts on Instagram, there are the recently used emojis, but I always I have, have to, to double check, check every time, man. Every time, because I don't want yeah. to get it wrong. <laughs> I don't want to, like, I feel like covering the AFCON has definitely helped me see 
distinguish the flags yeah, better. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes, you know, it's the red on the left, and then on the other one, it's on the right, and then the colors are kind of the same. Uh, but it's just a matter of habit. I feel like we're not that used over here in Europe to seeing yeah, that many African flags. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the, in, in Central Africa, those colors are used a lot when you go to north because mali is the same but no star but anyway we're not a flag <laughs> podcast we can move on to we can move on away well from but football. this is a great this is a great leeway to remind you that our uh, our sponsor is at sports club maps Go and on. if you if you want to learn more <laughs> about the world's flags you should you should check their uh, instagram page and their website and maybe cop a little map for yourself as well the other final, the other semi-final is going to be Cameroon, Egypt. Are we are we being too quick in writing Egypt off? Why do you think that they're going to put up a fight against Cameroon? Well, I'm going to tell you now. So um, they the record definitely favors Egypt, right? So in throughout history, Cameroon have won six, they've drawn seven, and Egypt have won seventeen times. So Egypt definitely have the upper hand in this face-off, but the last time they met um, was in the 2017 AFCON final in uh, Libreville in Gabon. Now, Hector Cooper was in charge of Egypt at the time. And I love this name, Hugo Bruce, which sounds like a really terrible copy shirt you'd, you'd buy at a market, was in charge of Cameroon. Um, uh, Egypt went 1-0 up. Um, Cameroon equalized. And then who scored the winner in the 88th minute, Tommy? Cameroon legend who scored the winner Samuel Eto'o no Vincent Abubakar the very striker who's going to go up against them this tournament scored the 88th minute winner and it was a beautiful back heel flick over the defender and then he like half volleyed it in 88th minute winner boom but that was the first time Cameroon had beaten Egypt in seven attempts the time before that that they'd beaten them was in 2002 um so the last time Egypt beat Cameroon was also at the AFCON. It was in the quarterfinals of the 2010 tournament. Now, this was obviously what would go on to be their third in a row. Um, now, this game was a bit mad. There was a goal. So Egypt won it. And yeah, Egypt won it 3-1 in extra time. But the third goal, it didn't cross the line. It Like Kemeni had an absolute shocker. He pushes it onto the crossbar and it bounces clearly in front of the goal line and bounces out. But then it's given as the third goal. Game's basically over. Cameroon gets someone sent off. And Egypt go on to win their third title. So the last two times these teams have played each other, it has been massive. And I just think there's a lot of history there. And I think with Egypt having the upper hand across across the kind of the time period, and a lot of the players from that final are still in both squads. So from Cameroon winning and from Egypt losing, I feel like there'll still be a bit of like antagonism there like Mo Salah played El Neni played Hegezi played like Trezeguet played I'm pretty sure like there was a lot of that squad are still there so I think it's going to be a really heated game and not the easiest walk for Cameroon but ladies and gentlemen you know the Anglo-Italian pod is all about wrong predictions and we like to go in depth so let's go final scores for Burkina Faso Senegal I will start and I will say it's going to be a two Burkina Faso, Senegal, three. So that's my final Oof. result. Roy, what do you say? Burkina Faso, Cameroon. I, I think that's a no, lot Burkina of Faso, Senegal. Burkina Faso, Burkina, Senegal. Sorry, see? Again, I'm getting confused. Burkina Faso, Senegal. I think that's a lot of goals. I'm going to say 2-1. For Senegal. 
Yes, sorry. Yeah, I should have been clear. So that. Two, yes, two one for Senegal. <laughs> uh, Rory's prediction, and they say three two for Senegal. Uh, Cameroon, Egypt. You go first. Cameroon, Egypt. I'm gonna say Egypt upset the host. I'm gonna say two one at Egypt. So you've changed your mind about Cameroon going yeah, to the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The magic now, of the Anglo-Saxon part. Just now, I've changed it. Just now. Two one Egypt. All right. I'm going to say. Ooh, now that he said it, it's tempting, but I'm gonna go for. 2-0 Cameroon. Oh, Salah doesn't even get a okay. goal. Okay, nice. My prediction. Guys, as you know, they're wrong predictions. These games are going to be played on Wednesday and Thursday. We are going to talk to you on Friday for our weekly uh, podcast episode. And then Sunday night, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod and on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. We are going to be live from my house to cover the final, just like we did for the Champions League final last year. It was a lot of fun. One too many beers maybe were had, but uh, hey, we're not afraid to take on another watch along. Please tell your friends if you want an alternative uh, broadcast of the game. We're going to be there. You can also watch the game. We're going to have a timer. You can watch the game, mute it, and listen to us. Why would you do it? Because we're cool. Because we're your boys, Chaboy Tommy and Chaboy Rory from the Anglican Exactly. Pod. What more reason do you need? And as we move to the transfer window, uh, and then we're going to cover the upcoming games in Serie A and the, the Premier League, I just wanted to say that this weekend, for the second time in my life only, I went to Turin. I went visiting my good friend Andrea, who's moved there this year. She's working there at a restaurant. And uh, it's a very nice city, but it was very funny because I couldn't... I couldn't walk around and appreciate the city without thinking that it's home to the football club that I hated the most, Juventus. I it does kind of take the shine off, right? It does kind of take the shine off. I swear to God, it was unreal. I was walking around the whole time with my friend Andrea, her boyfriend, and a friend of ours, also a girl. None of them gives a single shit about football. And they took me to some beautiful places along the River Po, and they were just like, isn't it pretty? And I was like, yeah. But fucking Juventus are from here. And then <laughs> my friend Andrea's boyfriend that, uh, kind of made me understand that, that it's also t- the city of Torino, the football club. And I was just like, exactly. yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. And so I was just like, yeah, all these people that I'm crossing, maybe they don't support Juventus. Maybe they're all Torino fans. And that got me going. Torino is a very nice city. And if you guys go, I'm going to give you a tip. You should go to this vintage market that is open every weekend. It's an open-air vintage market, um, which is called uh, Balloon. Uh, which is in Torinese dialect, uh, and but it just sounds like balloon in English. Okay. You can find a lot of very... Man, I didn't know that there was a business around postcards, handwritten postcards sent by random people from around the world at vintage markets. It was very interesting to see the postcards from Italy's campaign, uh, colonial campaign in Ethiopia and Eritrea. Wow. And I don't know, man, holding these postcards from that was re- that were written in the 1930s, very hard to read, you know, with that weird yeah, cursive. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was, I don't know. It was weird. It was just like, who wrote this, post- uh, this postcard? And they were sent to like their their wife in Paris and stuff like that. And it said the first year of campaign, hold on strong and stuff like that. I don't know. It was pretty... Wow. Pretty touching, but the cool thing that I got, I don't have it here with me, but it's a big-ass poster from uh, uh, the World Cup in Spain in 1982. 
with all the best. Nah, it looks sick. You sent me the picture. It looks sick as well. You know? I'm gonna we'll put it on our Instagram. I'll we'll put it on. Yeah, Instagram definitely. Uh, all the pictures from the Italy campaign at the 1982 World Cup, and of course the big picture of the players before the final. That was my steal of the vintage market for three euros only, ladies and gentlemen. Oof. So remember, if you go to Turin, vintage market called Balloon, try to overlook the fact that it's the city of fucking Juventus. Juventus, who are now officially opening a partnership with the Tottenham Hotspur. Rory, what the fuck is going on? Um, we all sat there and thought, how have Juventus afforded Vlavic? How have they managed to get £70 million together? And then... Their feeder club, I think, maybe, or their good friend Paratici came in and went, don't worry, we'll give you the money. And they handed them 60 million for two players that Juventus have not used or need. It is another example of beautiful creative accounting from Juventus. And I honestly can't see how, like Tottenham have spent the whole time going, we need wingbacks. We need wingbacks, that's all we need. We need a good wingback for this Antonio Conte system to work. Adama Traore then chooses Barcelona for less money. <laughs> and then they go and sign two players that they do not need in the slightest. I think Kulisevsky, I'm not even sure where he plays in the system with Tottenham. I'm not sure if they play him in central midfield or does he take the place away from Son or Kane because their two striker positions are both taken, right? I cannot see where he fits in that side. He can't play central midfield Conte doesn't like, does he like an attacking midfielder behind the strikers? Maybe he plays that kind of shuttling system. With, but he, he tried it with Ericsson a bit, but I think that would be his position or maybe wide on the wing. But yeah, it doesn't really seem like a great fit. And Bentancur, look, Bentancur. I don't understand it. Yeah. Bentancur, he has played a lot of games for Juventus, actually. And he, he's been a starter more than you would think. He's an experienced player, but definitely not a very exciting player. And last mm. year, Juventus fans wanted him out and they wanted him out quick. And, uh, I mean, you I don't know, Juventus kind of, like, fucking turned their, I think, they might have turned their season around with this January mm. transfer window. I think they've, they've had an incredible window. They've had an incredible... I think Benton Curry is, like, a, you're right with, like, he's not exciting. I think he's just a solid midfielder. And I feel like Tottenham can have already have that with, like, players like Oliver Skip, Harry Winks. Like, they've got players that can just get the ball, pass it, win the ball. I don't feel like he's going to do anything that they haven't already got. I think... It was just a weird move. And I think I'm kind of consoling myself with this thought at the moment because Arsenal haven't signed anyone. But just signing someone doesn't mean you've improved your squad. And mm -hmm. I think they've just signed someone to sign someone to be like, look, we're busy, we're trying. And it's kind of misplaced energy. I don't know. It just feels like a really odd move. But for Juventus now, they can wipe off the Vlavic debt that they may have had. And should we talk about Juventus' transfer window? I think yeah. the the signing the the signing of their window is not Vlavic. The signing of their window is Zakaria for seven million euros. That is a ridiculous signing. Like obviously his contract was coming up, it was running out at the end of the year, so they, it was always going to be for not much money. But I think he's exactly the midfielder they need. Someone who's like athletic, energetic, win the ball, good passer, like energy in that midfield. Because I think we've all noticed this year that Juventus are very, very slow. They're just very slow. And they need someone who's a bit more dynamic. And I think Zakaria could really bring that. I think it's just a very, very clever signing. Annoyingly yeah. clever. Agreed. And they've also signed, uh, we we'll promise we'll look more into this new signing from Juventus, Defender Gatti, which in Italian means cats, used to be a bricklayer uh, just uh, four years ago. Now plays at Frosinone. And... 
man, you need, Italian newspapers are insane when it comes to just like blowing up a player big time. They said that Zakaria, a mix of Nedved and somebody else, and they were just like, oh, no, guys, don't do it. And <laughs> they read about Gatti. He's a Chiellini with Bonucci's feet. <clears throat> Apparently, a very solid defender. He's going to finish the season at Frosinone and then join Juventus starting from next year. But yeah, also because Arriva Bene, their sporting director, had said that they wouldn't really go on the market in January. And the next thing you know, they placed an inside man at Tottenham Hotspur to make all of this happen. Well played. That's a great name as well, by the way. Um what was his name? Arriva Bene. Arriva Bene. He arrives well. That's such well. a great name. Yeah, he arrives well. And our friend well. Mondo Sportif also agrees that Juve have possibly had the best ever transfer window. Surely they'll be mounting a challenge for Serie A next season. Yeah, probably. Annoyingly. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, Rory, it feels like Arsenal and AC Milan are a bit on in the same situation. Not signing anybody, really. What's going on over in London? Oh, it's just come up that, oh, I don't even know. It's just come up that Barcelona have agreed to sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Cool. Right. Bye. Fine. Um, They have agreed finally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's agreed. Apparently it's all done. Um, I think that I'm choosing to remain optimistic because I was hoping that we'd bring people in. We've let something like nine players go now this window. Seven, eight, nine players. Um, A lot on loan, a lot sold, and it's a lot of Deadwood gone. Like, players that weren't really playing, so players like Chambers and or Bamiyang and like players that weren't getting game time. So you, you can kind of wonder about how much we'll miss them. But we've now left ourselves with a 17-man first-team squad. And we've loaned out a lot of our under-23s as well. And you, you're thinking, if we get injuries or if we get um, another COVID outbreak, we've got no players. I think it really is concerning. We've got two strikers in Lacazette and in Ketia how, who have a massive two league goals between them this year. Um, Nketiah's <laughs> contract who runs out in the end of the season and Lacazette, whose contract runs out at the end of the season. Two strikers who are not there for the long term and they know it. Um, I feel like if we don't get top four this year, which is looking pretty likely now, this transfer window is going to go down as a bit of a disaster. And I think, but what they, I think, I like to think they've got a plan and they think that we can maybe get top four with this squad and then the money they've saved in this January, we can then spend in the summer plus more money whilst being in the Champions League. So I think they're kind of taking a short-term risk for long-term gain. I just think it's very dangerous. The only lucky thing is that the clubs around us haven't really strengthened. United haven't bought anyone. Um, West Ham haven't bought anyone. Tottenham have, but like we said, I'm not convinced how much stronger it makes them. Um, I think that's the only good thing but I'm really concerned that we've not even brought anyone in on loan. I think it's a big gamble that we're taking, a big, big gamble. Um, and the whole Aubameyang thing now, I'm glad he's going. It's a real shame because there's a lot of revisionism going on around like Arsenal fans now who are just going, oh, he was always shit, fucking mercenary. No, 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 no. He was our only world-class player for two years. He won us an FA Cup pretty much single-handedly. His goals and assists um, record per appearance is ridiculous. He was great for two seasons. He's just been terrible for the last two. Um, I don't like the revisionism that's going on around him. I wish him well. He's going to inevitably start smashing goals in at Barcelona and we're going to look really stupid. But I'm glad he's out of the club. We just don't need his energy. I just really wish we had brought someone in in midfield 
our midfield is so short. We know that Jack is going to get another red card this season. He is going to get suspended. So I feel like we're just leaving ourselves so short. But anyway, I'm like the meltdown that is going on on Arsenal Twitter now. I'm just, I can't deal with it. It's like the world is going to end. It's not. We'll be fine. We'll at least get top six. It's not the end of the world. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a difficult one. <laughs> it's a difficult one. Let's move on then to, uh, well, let's say in England, it's beautiful to see that Christian Eriksen is back on the pitch this time around with Brentford. There was a very nice interview retweeted by Uncle Sharma in which uh, I want to say that he has teary eyes but it doesn't really. He's truly saddened about the fact that he couldn't play for Inter Milan. He said, of course, that was going to be my first option to come back playing for Inter Milan. But unfortunately, in Italy, you cannot play with a, a pacemaker, I think he's got on his heart now. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not allowed by the Italian Football Federation. And uh, so it was like I had to look elsewhere. Right now, he has just signed with Brantford. Good luck, Christian. We've definitely missed your poetry on the pitch. And may you bring it Bring it to the Brent Brentfordians. What, what, are, what, what are they called? Are they the, the wasps? The bees. The bees. The bees. The bees. Bring your magic to the bees. And the uh, Rangers signing Ramsey on loan from Juventus. Uh, there was a very good meme today about uh, there was a protest on the street. Uh, a picture of a protest that said, don't take the jobs away from us. And it said, uh, current protests in Turin from the Juventus physiotherapy room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about this. I'm so happy that Ramsey is back and going to be at a place where people love him. He is one of my all-time favorite Arsenal players. I absolutely love Aaron Ramsey. Juventus signed him on a free on massive wages with a player that had a massive injury record and then got angry with him when he got injured. Like he was injured for Arsenal all the time and they still offered him 450,000 euros a week. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? I have zero sympathy for them. I'm so glad Ramsey's back. My own personal feelings towards Rangers aside, I'm glad he's just going somewhere that he's going to be loved. I think it's a great signing for them. He is still an incredible player and Juventus never used him properly. Even when he was fit, There was managers that just put him everywhere and went, go on, do a job. And nobody played him where he should have been played. That number 10, where he was unbelievable for Arsenal, even as a number eight, he was incredible. I want to see him back enjoying his football. Honestly, he's one of my all-time favorites. And it, it even makes me happier that he's all he's done for the past four years is annoy Juventus fans. So that just makes it even better. True. And going back to Italy, I just wanted to quickly mention uh, Fiorentina's replacement for Dusan Vlaovic. He's coming from, uh, he's a Brazilian, but he is coming from the Swiss League. He goes by the name of Artur Cabral, and his, his numbers at mm. Basel are pretty freaking good. 65 goals in 106 appearances. I think that taking uh, Vlaovic's role in Fiorentina is going to be very tough. It would be very tough for anybody, uh, current top goal scorer in Serie A. But I think this could be a good surprise for the Fiorentina fans who are fuming at their president, Rocco Commisso. They said that uh, he made promises that he didn't keep and they knew that Vlaovic was going to go somewhere, but they don't understand why. They let him go to Juventus. They agreed on this deal and why they didn't make sure that he would fly well beyond the Italian Alps, maybe in England, where he couldn't cause a problem to Fiorentina. 
I'm looking forward to the next Fiorentina-Juventus game. Actually, Rory, as you go with the next transfer news, I'm going to check if it's going to be a home game for Fiorentina because Dusan Vlaovic, he, he must play with like, you know, silent earmuffs, not to hear the noise, probably. I'm going to check that. They right are going to be... That, the, the, the atmosphere there is going to be like explosive, right? The Juve fans uh, put a flag up outside the Fiorentina stadium. It's all gone a bit mad. Um, I think... That's a brave Ooh, it's, move, it's isn't it? Be, it's going to be the last game of the season oh. on a beautiful sunny Sunday on May 22nd. Fiorentina take on Juventus. Oh my god, that could be honestly, in Florence. In Florence, that oh. could be honestly, that could be dangerous because Fiorentina fans are going really crazy about Vlaovic. He had to leave overnight, not to be tracked by anybody. They like made sure that nobody knew that he was leaving. And also, very funny, <laughs> crazy, story. Man. very funny story, he transferred to Juventus the day before his birthday, and yeah. apparently the Fiorentina players were organizing a surprise birthday party for him. <laughs> oh, man, that's so heartbreaking. Just imagine all these players just sat in a dark room like, oh, <laughs> Is he going to come? Just staring at the door. He's not coming, is he? He's not coming. I don't think he's coming. Along Ooh. with all the Arsenal fans sat staring at an empty door going, Vlavic isn't coming. Vlavic isn't coming. And the hopeless wanderer with his Polish <laughs> descent is saying that I mispronounced the name Piontek right there. Well, <laughs> maybe they're going to change the system and play with two strikers up front. Piontek and Cabral, we shall see. Look, Adam, I don't see anything coming from Piontek. Honestly, one of the most underwhelming signings ever since he moved from Genoa to AC Milan. It was just like bad. And I don't expect him to do much better than he did at Milan, at Fiorentina. Rory, any takes? Um, yeah, I kind of hope that he gets his, jo- his Genoa form back, but I can't really see it. It feels like one of those moves that like certain clubs do. A striker has one good season and they're like, bang, get him, and then he's like, just terrible. Speaking of which, Simi has now gone down to Palmer. Um, he's on loan in Serie B now. Another one of those where the second Salernitana signed him, I was like, eh. Don't think that's a good idea. Um, and I feel like Piontek was one of them, just a, a very hot run of form rather than a very talented striker. Um, but I hope he comes back because I want Poland to have a good team again. I really want them to be, you know, a international force. I, I still back Poland. Beautiful. Anything else to cover in the transfer window, Rory? I feel like we need to touch on Everton. Um, so Everton, I've had a very busy couple of days. Um, after approaching Rooney, um, and to be fair to Rooney, it's something we've not talked about yet because it's in the second division. We need to talk about it more. But the job he's doing at Derby County, I think we're going to talk about it on Thursday, maybe. I want to talk about it. Is incredible. But he has, despite being approached by Everton, he's decided to stay at Derby and see out the job there. They had a 21 points, uh, 21 point point deduction they're very close to going out of existence really grim grim down at derby county he said no i'm staying till the end of the season i want to see this job through so everton have not been able to get him so they've brought in frank lampard now lampard is a manager that i wasn't that impressed with during his time at chelsea he did well at playing youngsters uh, but i feel like tactically he kind of lacked a little bit of nous um, and I worry for Everton that they've gone for a big name rather than a manager that can deal with a relegation battle. I think it's going to be a real steep le- learning curve for Frank, but they've had a very promising start, at least on half of these signings. They brought in Donny van der Beek on loan, which is, I think, 
it could be a very, very good signing. In the flashes that we've seen at Manchester United, I remember the game against Watford where, granted, Manchester United were terrible. Uh, Van der Beek came on and was the best player on the pitch for United. Every time I've seen him come on, he's been dynamic, added energy to that midfield, passes forward, like direct. I think he could be a really good signing for Everton. The other one they've brought in, I think is like a definition Everton signing, Deli Alley from Tottenham. <laughs> now, this guy's head has not been in his career for a good few years now. He's been distracted. We all saw him on the All or Nothing documentary. He's definitely like chocolate. Fucking absolutely loves himself. Um, I think this is a signing where he is going to be that like, oh, can we get the right energy out of him? Can we get him motivated? And that is going to be every move for his career now is like, can we get him motivated? Can we get him motivated? I think he could surprise me, but I think if Conte couldn't get something out of him, I don't know how Lampard is. Conte is very good at turning players around, very good at getting players reinvigorated. The fact he couldn't with Ali kind of, I think, is concerning. I think Lampard, they've just signed a name. Like, oh, he is good. Let's get him. Without really thinking about, is he the type of character you want in a relegation battle? And Everton are in a relegation battle. Um, so I think it's kind of a weird sign in that one. It's more just about the, the name on the back of the shirt than what he actually does on the pitch, I think. So an interesting time for Everton. Um, they've had to sack Duncan Ferguson, which is a real shame because Lampard's brought in his own staff. It's kind of... A shame that a club legends had to leave, and I think that could have negative effects as well. But we'll see. I don't know. I'm just underwhelmed by Lampard. Really. One thing, one hot take that I'm going to take uh, is about Roma. I think Roma are going to have a very good second half of the season. I don't know why. I have a big feeling about this one. Um, and I think that people have been, well, I mean, Roma have been a lot roller coaster up and down, but I think they're going to have a good second half of the season. That's my hot take of the day. Very quickly. Oh, sorry. I've just been corrected. Duncan Ferguson is staying. Good, good. He's staying. That means like, there's someone there who knows what the club is about, etc. I think it's good that he's staying there. Thank you, Hopeless Wanderer. Good work. And before we quickly preview the games in Serie A and the Premier League this weekend, what's going on, Rory? What? Barcelona aren't signing Aubameyang on loan. They're signing him permanently. Really? Damn. I just want to say, we've got him off the books. We have so much weight. How many millions is that? That has just disappeared. It doesn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're giving him away for free. It doesn't say how much. It just says... All parties are happy with the deal. Arsenal are to make a 25 million saving on his wages. He'll undergo a medical this evening. It doesn't say how much money for. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's for nothing. Wow, that's an interesting one. We're we're terrible at selling players. And Joe Spagnoli chips in with, will they ever learn? No, zero lessons have been learned at Barcelona. Zero lessons. They've been saved by the Spanish government and they're just up to the same old shit again, throwing money at throwing money at players that you can't trust anyway fine. exactly and before we quickly review the game since and the premier league i just read a very funny news and a very funny comment underneath this piece of news apparently carlo ancelotti's um coaching permit coaching license has okay. expired and there was a very good meme of Ancelotti sitting down in a class. Now he will have to take mandatory classes. There was, a picture, there was a picture of him sitting down, like in a class, in a classroom, and the teacher saying, So, Mr. Ancelotti, what can you what do you know about the tactics? And he's just like the most bored face ever. If there is a guy that knows what he's doing on a sideline, that's Mr. Carlo Ancelotti. We can say good luck, Carlo, on this next uh, challenge that 
challenge, if we can call it so. But Serie A, <laughs> trying to teach him, my God. It kicks off. It's all going to be packed in two days, like the good old days, between Saturday and Sunday. Rory, let's use the Central European time. It all kicks off at 3 p.m. Roma taking on Genoa and at 6 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, Inter against AC Milan. Inter take on AC Milan and in the following game, Roma in the Coppa Italia, and then Napoli in the league. If we get four points between uh, AC Milan and Napoli, I think that we're good for the rest of the season. And the Scudetto is pretty much ours. Let's see how this one goes. Then Fiorentina take on uh, Lazio at 8.45 p.m. We'll see if Artur Cabral will will score his first goal as a viola. And on Sunday at 12.30, Atalanta-Cagliari. I see goals coming. And then at 3 p.m., Bologna-Empoli, Sampdoria-Sassuolo, Venezia-Napoli, Udinese-Torino, and the Juventus-Verona rounds it all up at 8.45 p.m. Just one other thing with a strong Inter bias. I strongly, strongly hope that there is a Senegal-Egypt final so that Mane and Salah both... And maybe, and maybe well, Sané, Mane has already, has already banged his head once. So yeah. I, I'm not going to wish anything on him anymore. But Salah, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a little problem to the knee or something after the <laughs> final so that by the time they take on Inter at the San Siro... I don't know. We're we're doing good. Since we don't have Barella for both legs. Yeah, that's a big rough. blow, man. That's a big blow. But Rory, off you go. What have we got in England? Oh, are you ready? It's so busy this weekend. So busy. I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in. We have one game. It kicks off on Saturday at 7 o'clock Central European time. We have Burnley versus Watford in a massive relegation battle, I suppose. Um, a bit of a six-pointer. Burnley are currently bottom on 12 points. Watford just above them on 14 points. This is one of Burnley's many games in hand. Um, Neither teams have a win in their last five. Burnley in slightly better form with two draws. Watford have got one draw. That's it, Tommy. We've got one game in England this weekend. The rest of it all kicks off on Tuesday the next week, so we'll cover it on Monday. That's it. The Premier League is still nowhere to be seen. They're all on holiday in Dubai. And, uh, yeah, I made a fool of myself. There is also a game on Monday night in Italy. It's Salernitana-Spezia. You will forgive me. Not the most exciting of games. <laughs> but I absolutely missed that one. Um, yeah, guys, this is a very crucial part of the season, both for the AFCON and for the respective leagues. Well, not really in the Premier League, but I think Serie A, if you're... If you don't follow Serie A regularly, I think that these next handful of games, like the next three games, are going to say a lot whether about whether there is going to be a title challenge or if Inter are just going to see it through the way it is right now. We shall see. This is the turning point, right? This is the turning point. I think this is like, yeah, where the season could be decided. It's a massive weekend, man. Tommy, like Inter are halfway through that big, big run that we've been talking about. They're doing all right. Forza Inter, etc. Um for the Premier League, just another another bit of rest. I don't have to get depressed by Arsenal for a while, so that's nice. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, we've made it in one hour. It's been a pleasure to be with you, as always. Uh, and if you're listening to us on a Spotify or Apple Podcasts next Monday, why don't you join us for our live stream? And also, you could join us on Sunday night yeah you thought it was real fed it's writing oh like, who the, the hell's that um, <laughs> yeah. and if you're on spotify and apple Podcasts and all that give us a like you can now rate 
five stars on Spotify. I've done it to my own pod. I've got no shame. You do it. Rate us five stars on Apple Pod or Spotify, please. Um, oh, that's one of my old students from my class. Hello, Federico. Um, good. There we go. I think that's it. Rate <laughs> us. Rate us five stars. Talk to you later, guys. And remember, we'll remind you again, but on Sunday night, we're going to have the live watch-along of the AFCON final. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.